I'm going. Are you going? Yes. Okay. I thought we were going to count down. <laughs> okay. Three, two, one, go. <laughs> it's going already. All right. You're, you're up first. I'm Juliana Cantarelli-Vita. And I'm Skylar Weldon. This is Massa, a podcast about Brazilian music and culture. Juliana and I are music professors and musicians. In each episode, we dive into a specific genre, song, artist, or issue in Brazilian music to try to understand how it works and what it means. What's on the agenda for today, Juliana? So today I'm really excited because we are going to talk about people who I know. Whoa, that sounds great. Yeah, I, th I think it's going to be great. You know, we've been talking about uh, the importance of candomblé in Brazilian popular music in this past few episodes and how it plays a part in some black Brazilian struggles for justice and equality. And today we'll hear some personal stories. In the last episode, we zeroed in on some specific percussion instruments and rhythms of candomblé. For those who might have missed it and are not familiar with the term, candomblé is the name for a number of Afro-Brazilian religions that survived with enslaved people who were brought to Brazil from West and Central Africa. Exactly. So I'm thinking we could dive into a particular region today, specifically the city of Recife, the capital of the state of Pernambuco. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. In the last episode, we focused on the candomblé practiced in the state of Bahia. And while that's the form of candomblé that is most widely known, it's certainly not the only type. Uh, when various African religions blended in Brazil, they were codified into different sets of beliefs and practices depending on the region. It makes perfect sense to look at how candomblé is different somewhere other than Bahia. Also, the fact that you are Pernambucana and have connections to a particular ile. The place where candomblé worship happens. Seems like a good opportunity to share some specifics. Yes. And to be clear, I'm not a candomblécista, but I play in a maracatu ensemble housed within the ile. And just to make sure we don't lose the listeners, maybe we should explain what maracatu is. Good idea. We'll have a few episodes about maracatu soon. But just to give listeners an idea, maracatu is a music tradition from the state of Pernambuco. There are different types of maracatu, but here we're referring to maracatu de baque virado, which is an Afro-Brazilian strand primarily practiced on the coast. Great. Would you like to hear a recording of the maracatu ensemble I was just talking about? Yeah, that sounds great. What's it called? This is called Nago é Minha Nação by the group Nação do Maracatu Porto Rico. A minha nação é Nago, a vocês eu vou apresentar. A minha nação é Nagô, a vocês eu vou apresentar. A minha nação é Nagô, 
nação Porto Rico Faço no apito os tambores falar Wow, I love that. Who's singing? That's Mestre Chacon Viana. He's the leader of that Maracatu Ensemble. We'll talk more about him in a bit. We'll have time to get into the specifics of those instruments and rhythms in the near future. For now, let's translate the lyrics. All right, let's start with the title. The title is Nago é minha nação. Which means Nago is my nation. But that probably doesn't help the listeners very much. Remember that last episode we were talking about aspects of nação queto? That's the form of candomblé in Bahia. Yes. Well, today we'll focus more on the terreiros that identify as nação nago. Aha. So, Mestre Chacon is proclaiming his affiliation to a specific type of candomblé. Exactly. A minha nação é nago, a vocês eu vou apresentar. So what's next in the lyrics? Then he says, A vocês eu vou apresentar, sou da nação Porto Rico, faço no apito os tambores falar. So I'm going to present this to you. I'm from the nação Porto Rico. I make the drums speak with my whistle. Right, yeah, right on. He's introducing the school and he's saying that he's the leader of that music. That's interesting. It's not like the other examples we've heard that weave in the names of the Orishas. Yeah, not in this example, but other songs do that. I wanted you to hear this one recording because even though there are no Orishas named, he highlights the connection to Candomblé right at the beginning by proclaiming his connection to the Nago tradition. Uh, well, let's explain that a little bit more. So the term Nago is sometimes used as the generic designation for all Yoruba groups. Yes. But other times, it's something more specific. According to the scholar Larry Crook, a few Kondomblé nations that emerged from Yoruba groups persist until today. And those are Ketu, Ijesha, and Nago. So in this example, when Mr. Chacon says Nago, he is showing that he's part of that tradition. Yes, his Kondomblé house in Recife is part of Nação Nago tradition. Larry Crook has also noted that the Kondomblé houses there in Recife are, quote, less researched and publicized than their Bayan counterparts, but also represent a major religious community, end quote. Well, let's take a small step towards correcting that. Yeah. A minha nação é Nago, a vocês eu vou apresentar. Let's talk a little bit about this Ile. How exactly are you connected to it? So I'm a member of the group Nação do Maracatu Porto Rico. Which is the group we were just listening to. Yes. Yeah, though I didn't play on that recording. <laughs> Nação do Maracatu Porto Rico is associated with a, with a tejero called Ile Axé Oxóssi Guangubira. All right, let's get into that name. Can you break down for us what all of those words mean? Ile we already explained, right? Yes, Ile means house. It refers to the tejero, the place where ceremonies happen. And we talked about Axé in the first episode of this series, but I could use a refresher. Axé is the energy, the life force that inhabits all things. And I know Oshasi. Oshasi is one of the Orishas. 
Is Oshasi the patron of this particular tejero? Yes, good job. So you'll have to help me with guangobira. I, I have no idea what that is. Well, this is how Humenigitantas, a member of the Zile, explained to me. Guangobira is the quality of Oshasi. I'll give an example with the name Maria. There are lots of different kinds of Maria. There is Maria Julia, Maria Clara, Maria Antonia, all kinds. It's the same thing with the Orishas. For example, Oshasi. Say Oshasi is the Orisha of a particular village. In that village, there are lots of kinds of Oshasi. There are lots of qualities of Oshasi. Gongobira is a quality of Oshasi. Okay, so I think I understand. Oshasi can take many forms, and the Orisha of this particular ile is Oshasi Gongobira. And it's worth noting that because this word Gongobira comes from Yoruba, it doesn't have a standardized pronunciation. Homeniki pronounced it in two different ways just there. It's an example of the living nature of the Yoruba that exists in the ile. Right. So could you describe a little bit about what the ile looks like? I know we talked about this in sort of generic terms in the first episode, but in this particular ile, like imagine you're coming up from the street. What do you see? All right. So if you're coming from the street, um, the first thing you see is this garage that has been transformed into like a parlor, like a party space. They have tables set out uh, for birthday celebrations or weekend secular celebrations just a place to sit down and have a beer while you're while you're listening to music um right next to this to this room to this there's a narrow hallway and is it is there things you see as you're going down the hallway or is it just a hallway that gets you to a place so in this very narrow hallway you you will see uh, a lot of statues of orishas um, some made of metal, some, um, you'll see some statues of the amalgam with Catholicism. So you see some of the statues there. It only fits one person at a time, but right on the wall, you'll see all these, all these things, the orishas and the, and the, and the plants and some offerings to, to the orishas. And then at the end of this hallway, there is this big room that they call the salon, the big room where, because it's covered in, in tile, is is very echoey, um, and that's where the ceremonies happen. Right, so tile is a very reflective surface of sound, so the whole room has tiles everywhere, the walls, the floor, everything. So as the music gets played in there, that sound just sort of bounces around and amplifies itself. You see pictures of the important people who we're going to talk about in a minute. And so in the past, I haven't been to a lot of tejeros, but there's usually a big pillar in the middle of sort of the round space that serves as the center of the worship practice. Is that the case in this one as well? Yes, there's a, a huge uh, pillar right in the middle, um, and it's a circular pillar, and ceremonies happen in a circular way. Uh, there isn't an altar that everyone's facing. It's more of a, of a circle. And on the Fridays that they have... Um, ceremonies, they will put their offerings right by the pillar, and at the end of the ceremony, they will eat whatever they offered. Got it. So in our first episode uh, about Candomblé, we talked about the people that participate in the ceremonies, their various roles. First, let's recall that there are the Egunsh. Egunsh are the ancestors of the people of the Nassau, those that have been part of the Tejero, and also the people that the practitioners carry with them from their own lives. Next are the people who organize and 
execute the ceremonies. So organs, who are the men, and Ekedis, who are the women. The organs responsible for the music in this particular ile are called alabes. Got it. So in the case of Ileacheo Shosegangubira, who is in charge? That would be Hainha and Mãe Eldaviana. Hainha means queen and Mãe means mother. Homeniki Dantes explains that she's the pilar, meaning pillar or cornerstone of that ile. The hierarchy would be first Mãe Elda, who is the Yalorisha, who is our pillar, is the basis for everything. She's the Yalorisha, as Homeniki just said. That's the word we use to refer to the spiritual leader of that specific Tejero. Yes, if the spiritual leader is a woman. At the risk of oversimplifying, the Yalorisha is the priestess, more or less. Listeners might remember that she might also be called Mãe de Santo, which means mother of saint. Does this Tejero have a male spiritual leader as well? Yes, remember when we talked about Mesha con Viana before at the beginning of this episode? The leader of the Maracatu Ensemble? Mm-hmm, that's the one. He's my eldest son. And he's also the Babalodisha of the Tejero. Aha. So the term Babalodisha is the male equivalent of Yalodisha. Exactly. Or you could say Pai de Santo. Meaning father of the saint. Mestre Chacon, or Baba Chacon, as he's called in the Candomblé context, is currently running things, including the ceremonies um, at Vizile, now that Maya Elda has mostly moved on from these duties. A couple of episodes ago, we mentioned that many Ilés have a sort of second-in-command, either a Yakekere or a Baba Kekere. Does Ilé Ashe Gongobira have one? Yes, there is a Yakekere, or Mãe Pequena, Mãe Leuda Oshun. And she's also the Princesa, of the Maracatu group. The fact that Baba Chacon is also the maestri of the Maracatu group and Mãe Leo is the princesa seems to indicate just how closely connected the Maracatu side and the Candomblé side are. Yes, the Maracatu ensemble is essentially the public-facing side of the Ile. Many of the Maracatu songs are about and for various orishas. Aha! But I assume there's still an aspect of the Candomblé worship that is not for the public. Yes, there is. Well, let's talk about that. So how about we start with the instruments in the ensemble? Sure, that sounds great. As with other forms of candomblé we discussed in the last few episodes, all the music is made with voices and percussions. We'll get to the voices in a moment. Fair to assume that the percussion consists of three hand drums, one bell, and a shaker? Yes. Are they the same drums as in candomblé ketu? Actually, no. The kind of drum played here is called elum. Ah, yes, that's different from the atabakis we heard before. Each of the three ilums has a name depending on the role it plays in the ensemble. The least complicated pattern is played by the melee. Once the worshippers begin a song, the melee player picks up the appropriate talki, which is a rhythm or a groove, to accompany them. Then comes in the bianco, which plays a slightly more elaborate pattern. And finally, the yin, which is the most elaborate. It sounds almost like improvisation, though the rhythms are taught and learned. Got it. So there are three elunges, and each of them plays a separate role. We have the melee, the bianco, and the yin. Yes, right on. Great. In the other candomblé tradition, the drums are different sizes. So what about here? In this case, the melee, bianco, and yin are all similar in size and shape, but are distinguished by the roles they play in the ensemble. Well, let's hear a short example. This is from the musician and YouTuber Glauber Alabe de Xangô, from the house of Mãe Betinha de Yemanjá Sabá, which is in Recife. He's playing one of the elunge, and the rhythm that he's playing is from an alujá for Shango. Listen for how he uses his palms to create a variety of sounds on the drum. <laughs> <laughs> 
You hear that he starts slowly and then speeds up once the groove settles. We'll put a link to his video in the description. So what about the bell? We talked a lot about two-headed bells last time, the ga and the agogo. The bell here is also called ga, but it has only one head. It sounds like this. Ah, cool. So what else? There's also a shaker called abe. It's made from a dried gourd with shells and seeds strung on the outside. Like a Cuban widow or shakere? Yeah, like that. Here's a sample. So I noticed you said voices before instead of singing. What's up with that? Uh, well, practitioners don't use the word cantar. Portuguese for to sing. Instead, they use the word zuela. I don't think I've heard that word. Well, it refers to the act of invoking the orisha with the voice. We actually have a recording of Baba Chacon zuelando. Vocalizing? For Xangô. That's great. So what's the difference between what he's doing, Zuelandu, and singing? In terms of technique, really nothing. Uh, the difference is in the intention and the effect. You'll hear even practitioners sometimes mistakenly use the term cantar instead of zuela to then correct themselves. Ah, okay. That makes sense. We should probably also point out that this music is not just interspersed throughout the worship ritual, like, say, in a Catholic church. No, the music is the ceremony. It's what invokes the Orisha. It's how spirit possessions take place. The music never stops. So maybe we should explain who is the one vocalizing Zuelandu. It depends on the ceremony itself and 
the order that the Odishas arrive. Different members of the community are associated with or protected by different Odishas. So the ones that are prepared, preparados, they've been made ready through a particular spiritual preparation, hence preparados. Yes, they vocalize for their Odisha. Are they the only ones that vocalize? They initiate and often vocalize solo, but the congregation will respond. Fair to call this call and response then? Yeah, totally. People who have studied African or Afro-diasporic music will recognize that this is a common feature. Call and response, uh, also known as antiphony, is frequently a feature of everything from traditional Ewe music to African-American gospel to many Brazilian and other Latin American genres. The scholar Samuel Floyd has written about this with respect to Black American traditions, and we can link to some of his articles if, if people are interested. Here's another example of Baba Chacon vocalizing for Shango, this time with accompaniment. songs are not randomly assembled, but they happen as part of a worship sequence called a jire. Aha. So how is the sequence determined? It can vary depending on the occasion. Some ceremonies may happen in worship of Orishas associated with a particular season or day or event. When I spoke with Humaniki Dantas, he told me that what's typical has shifted in the last few years. With Mãe Elda, it was established that every Friday night she sang for one Orisha, specifically the Orisha Oxalá. Nowadays, our Baba, Mr. Chacon, doesn't sing exclusively for Oxalá on Fridays. He sings the complete Shire, which is from Eshu to Oxalá. That's the sequence we use. So we can think of the Shire as kind of a sequence of Orishas, right? It'll start with Eshu. Yes, I always start with the Orisha called Eshu, as we explained last time. And then it moves on to a number of other Orishas. At this particular tejero, the most common jere is Eshu, Ogun, Oshosi, Oshun, Yemanja, Shango, Yansan, and Oshala. It always ends with Oshala. So as the shire continues, these various songs are vocalized for each of the Orishas, and some of the Orishas arrive and possess Oguns. Yes, this could take one to three hours, depending on how long each possession takes. I think at this point, we have enough background to talk about some specific talkies. What do you say? Awesome. How about we highlight a couple of these Odishas? I don't think we have time to talk about all of them, though. Let's start with Eshu. As we mentioned in the last episode, Eshu is the first in most worship sequences because he is the Odisha associated with opening doors between the visible and invisible worlds. In my conversations with Il Odisha Eldaviana, she used to advise that if you're going to make an offering, start with ones for Eshu or Bobojira. Bobojira is the feminine aspect of Eshu. So you start with them because they can get upset if you don't give them the attention they deserve and expect. This has led to some misunderstandings with opponents of Candomblé using these qualities of Eshu to associate him with Satanism. But Candomblé doesn't have anything to do with Satan, or even with the idea of a battle between good and evil. Right, it's about balance. I think his vein, not evil. <laughs> right. Um, listeners might remember that the Saudasun, words of praise, associated with Eshu are Laroye, 
What exactly does that mean? Ladoye means salute the messenger, a greeting for issue. Each Odisha also has their own toki, the rhythmic groove that accompanies the vocalizing. Yes, the drums themselves also act as voices that communicate with the Odisha. So what do we call that toki for eshun? So in Nasaunago, it's called a mazuka. This particular mazuka comes from a different tehero in Recife called Sitio de Payadão. As we listen, notice the call and response that we mentioned before. The leader vocalizes alone to start and the chorus responds together. The whole ceremony continues in this fashion. Also notice how the instruments come in one at a time. The gun starts quietly behind him and the elunzia and the bass enter later with the group. to me that one thing that may or may not have been clear is the fact that the percussion instruments tend to play ostinatos. Loops or rhythm cells. Yes. So once an instrument starts playing a rhythm, it continues over and over with occasional variation depending on the exact instrument. Right. So what can we say about the lyrics? Well, there's no literal translation. Um, the words relate to the request for a sure to open the doorway, but given that this music has survived in the diaspora and was fostered by people who came from different ethno-linguistic groups, a word-to-word translation isn't really possible or even desirable. We'll include a link to the interpretive translation that Sitio Chipayadon did of these lyrics into Portuguese for those who are interested and, and read Portuguese. So which other Orishas would you like to highlight from this shide? Let's talk about Oshasi next, because he's the Odisha for whom the hater is named. Good idea. So I know that Oshasi is the hunter. Yes. Specifically, he hunts Ashe, so he brings positive energy to the Ile. His saudação is Okearo. Which probably means something similar to Laroye, but in relation to Oshasi, like Hail Oshasi. Yep, he's known for being contemplative. Children of Oshasi, or the people for whom Oshasi is their personal Odisha, tend toward the creative contemplative life and can even risk laziness. But keep in mind that because he's the hunter of Ashe, 
Too much contemplation means not enough ashe. Like every Odisha, he is made up of both the positive and negative aspects of his personality. For this next example, let's go back to the Ile Ashe Oshose Gongobira. We'll hear Baba Shakon vocalizing. This talkie for Oshose is called Agere. So listen again for the ostinatos and the call and response, which I think should be pretty evident here. <laughs> I have questions. Okay, go ahead. That loud drum does not sound like the ilum we were just talking about. <laughs> right. Yes, I should have explained. So this is a recording taken from the street in front of the ile. Uh, because this is a demonstration of candomblé through maracatu, it's not possible to fit everyone inside. This particular ile is a little different in that they have a maracatu ensemble as well. And because they're playing outside, some of the drummers are using atabakish. Which are the single-headed hand drums with the West African origin that we talked about in Candoble Ketu from Bahia. Yep, atabakis are louder and more portable, so they are useful for playing outside. Now, that was just one question. I have more. Uh, well, one more. <laughs> we can clearly hear Baba Chacon singing in Portuguese here. That's different than the last example, where I think it was Yoruba or a version of Yoruba that has lasted through the generations. Yes. In this recording, you'll hear that he sings the introduction in Yoruba and then switches to Portuguese. Why? This happens a lot when Kanale goes into the street. When he vocalizes in Portuguese, it creates a way in for the people who aren't part of this congregation to participate via call and response. Aha, so this is a version that is more outward facing. Yes, Baba Chacon emphasizes accessibility to a degree, both to make these practices welcoming, as well as to make sure that they continue on. Okay, so let's go through some of the lyrics. He starts, Eu vi, foi no meio da mata, caboclo tocar pra odé. Let's try to translate that. It's something like, I saw in the middle of the forest a uh, caboclo, which probably references an indigenous person. Yes. Uh, playing agere, the music for Oshosi, mm -hmm. for ode. I don't know what ode means, but I guess it has to do with Oshosi. <laughs> right. Ode in this case means hunter. So yes, it refers to Oshosi, who is a hunter. So even if most of this part is in Portuguese, there seem to be a few Yoruba terms mixed in. Yes, yes, totally. And it's not all translatable. Got it. He goes on to sing about Oshasi and how he's connected to other Odishas and what he does. He shoots arrows and how he's connected to the Zile specifically. So we'll put a link to these lyrics too on the, on the website. So can we talk about Oshun, who comes later in the Jire? Here's what I know. Oshun is a female Odisha. And as we mentioned in the last episode, she's associated with fresh water, fertilizing the earth... 
um, maternity and young children. She's known for her sweetness and beauty, and she often wears yellow and bracelets. The saudação for Shun is Ora Yeye O, which kind of means Hail the Benevolent Mother. Got it. And last time we listened to a talkie for Oshun that was called Ijesha, but here in this nation, this nação, it's called Abata. So we're going to go back to Payadão, the Sitio de Payadão, to hear this version. Um, before the leader, Manuel Papai, starts to vocalize, he actually lists a number of different aspects of Oshun. Yeah, just like Oshosi can have many qualities, including Oshosi Gongobira, so can Oshun. And after listening to these qualities of Oshun, he starts to vocalize alone, and then the chorus responds. So comparing that to the other Payadão example from before, the music for Eshun, this one is a bit faster. Is that because it comes later in the Shire? In part, yes. Um, and it also makes sense that it would be faster because remember, Oshun is the freshwater Orisha. She has this quality of movement, rivers, waterfalls. These things move, so the music has to move too. That makes sense. Other than that, though, I can imagine that the first time hearing this, it might be hard to distinguish from the mazuka for Eshu that we heard before. Right. It's the same format, same participants, same instruments. 
However, in addition to the difference in lyrics, the rhythm is part of what calls the specific Odisha, and here the rhythm is different. Even without going into the specifics of the rhythm that the musicians are playing here, you can tell that these examples are different because they have different metrical cycles. The mazuka for Shu has eight pulses per cycle. And the abata for Oshun has 12. This allows the musicians to feel the pattern in multiple different meters. We discussed this in detail in the last episode for those who want a more in-depth discussion. The difference here is that we don't have that Vasi or West African standard bell pattern. No, in fact, the gun seems to imply a four-beat compound meter, sort of a one and a two and a three and a four and a feel, uh, because the gun plays a steady pulse rather than the more complex, what we might call syncopated pattern. This is another way that this Nago tr tradition differs from the Keto tradition that we discussed last time. I think we could go next to Yemanja, who's one of the most popular Orishas in all of Brazil. So she's Oshun's mother, right? Indeed, yes. Yemanja is the Orisha of the sea, the queen of the ocean. I know that in Bahia, there is a festa de Yemanjá every December 2nd, when people send offerings to her in the sea. And in many other parts of Brazil, people also offer to her on New Year's Eve. Yemanjá always wears blue and white, and her saudação is Odoya. She's often syncretized with the Virgin Mary, especially in her form as Our Lady of Navigators, which makes sense because of the seafaring nature of um, the, and the kinds of protection that seafaring folks need. Um, I also remember you telling me something about her popularity and the fact that she is the only Odisha who is often portrayed as having white skin. Yes. So I remember you telling me that uh, Baba Chacon talked about the fact that because Brazil is a country made up of people with lots of different skin colors, that um, as part of the amalgam that, that Candomblé participates in, um, it makes sense that some Odishas would have different skin tones. And that sort of is a way in for people who have less connection to their African heritage or maybe who don't have necessarily African heritage. Yes, yes, that sounds accurate. Uh, of course, we can problematize that as well. Um, but as my friend, Humaniki Danta, says... Meaning, the doors to the Tejero, the Ile, are never closed. The doors to those who are looking to participate in the ceremony are never closed. Interesting. I'm sure there is some criticism of the fact that the most popular Orisha happens to be white, though. Yes, it's no secret. In future episodes, we're going to be devoting time to discussion of this and many other efforts to whiten aspects of Afro-Brazilian culture, especially in music. Yeah. But we'll leave it there for today.
Um, let's listen to another talkie. The talkie for Yemanja here is called Inche. This is also from Sitio de Payadão. <laughs> Just to follow up on our earlier comments, this is also a 12-pulse metrical cycle. Right, and if you listen to the Abbe, you can hear how the musicians play with the meter. You mean the Abbe player takes advantage of the 12-pulse cycle to imply different meters by dividing the 12 into either 3 or 4 or 6? Yeah, exactly. Listen. So you either have four main pulses divided in three, or three divided into four, or six divided in two. So the musicians mix back and forth. For me, I hear that as a kind of reference to Yemanja. She's the Orisha of the sea, and just like the waves can move you along, they can also trick you and capsize your ship. If you're asking Yemanja for protection, for her protection and help, it's against this kind of misfortunes. Oh, I love that reading. That's just my interpretation, though. <laughs> But it seems possible. <laughs> How about one more Odisha? Seems like we should talk about Shangu, since our discussion of Candoble Odishas began with him a couple of episodes ago, and also because Shango is Baba Shakun's Odisha. Yes, that makes sense. In case you don't remember, Shango is the Odisha of Justice and Thunder. So here's a toki for Shango, which once again is called Aluja. This audio is from a video taken at the Tejero of Sitio de Payadão. As you listen, you'll hear the microphone moving around the room and picking up different instruments in the ensemble. You'll be able to hear the different ilums very clearly and at other times the abe and the gang. So we'll link to this video as well so you can see what these instruments look like. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, so what have we learned? Well, I think that even if we don't understand the technical aspects in the case of every talkie, we learn that these rhythms and songs are the manner in which Candomblé worshippers not only communicate their devotion, but also invite the Odishas into the worship practice. And we also dipped our toes into the water of interpretation, thinking a bit about how the talkies reflect the personality of the Odishas. This reinforces the fact that the music is not in addition to the worship. It is the worship. So when musical characteristics from the tradition go on to influence and serve as the basis for myriad musical traditions, they can't help but bring other aspects with them, even if people don't always recognize that fact. This brings me to one final musical example before we wrap up. What is it? Each episode so far, we have highlighted the presence of Candomblé, either musically or in the lyrics, in a recent recording. So I thought we could listen to a bit of a song by the singer Zemanuel, who's from Pernambuco. Sounds good. What's this song called? It's called Adopé Obaluae. So for context, Obaluae is another Orisha, one that wasn't part of the shire we talked about before. He's associated with health, uh, both illness and the cure for the illness. When practitioners dance for and are possessed by Obaluae, they typically wear straw coverings their face and torso because Obaluae is bright like the sun and humans can't look upon him safely. So what does Adopé mean? It basically means thank you in Yoruba. Got it. Let's listen to Adopé Obaluae by Zé Manuel and see if we can hear some of the elements that we've discussed in these episodes about the music of Candomblé. Adopé, meu pai, Obaluae Adopé, meu pai, Obaluae a do pé, meu pai, ó baluaê. A do pé, meu pai, ó baluaê. Na minha dança, o que me causa dor vira poeira. A do pé, meu pai, a todo. Teu canto é coa. Na voz de um tincoã, palha é mistério da terra de Nanã. A do pé, meu pai, ó baluaê. A do pé, meu pai, ó baluaê A do pé, meu pai, ó baluaê A do pé, meu pai, ó baluaê Wow, that is very different. I don't really hear the drums we discussed. No, in fact, it seems that Zé has transformed the rhythms into piano parts. If you listen carefully to the piano, you can hear that it's actually polyrhythm. Ah, so the right and left hands each play small rhythmic loops as if they were two drums in the ensemble. Exactly. So the left hand plays... right hand plays which together becomes So how closely do these rhythms correspond to the rhythms of a candomblé toki? Do they have anything to do with obaluaye specifically? Not specifically. I spoke with Zé Manuel about this and he told me that it was more a question of being inspired by candomblé rhythms. Uh, as the references are more general. 
In Brazil, there are many variations. For example, when you speak of samba, each person plays in their own way. It's not standardized. So my piano part is no different. I know that I'm making references to Afro-indigenous rhythms, but they aren't necessarily something very specific. It's more of a general reference. Right. So he's talking about something that will certainly come up in future episodes, but it's worth mentioning here. The rhythmic patterns associated with Brazilian traditional and popular music vary widely. Unlike, say, the clave in Cuban music, which is standardized, the rhythms played on bells like the agogo have regional variations, and sometimes even the players improvise and modify parts during a performance. We saw this in our last episode when we talked about Ijecha and Vasi. Not only do those rhythms often occur in different ways under different names, but sometimes they don't have the same meaning or use. For example, the Ijecha rhythm we studied last time was associated with a shun, but today we talked about the abata for a shun. Exactly. So it sounds like Zé is drawing on the importance of polyrhythm, whether in candomblé or Afro-Brazilian music more generally. Yes, I'd say so. I'm curious about Zé's relationship with Obaluaye and Candomblé. Did he say anything about that? Yeah, he did. Obaluaye, he's my orixá. I'm not officially a Candomblé practitioner. Contrary to the stigma and prejudice that often surrounds the religion, Candomblé is a very serious religion, very strict for practitioners. For example, when you go through the process of discovering who your Orisha is, you often have to be isolated in a terreiro for months. People who are part of this religion are very dedicated to it. But one of my friends, Paulo Esteves, took me to his terreiro in Salvador and I consulted the Mãe de Santo, who used cowrie shells to find out who my Orisha is. So I have a very close relationship to my Orisha. I see myself absolutely identified with him, with his story, with everything. I felt like I needed to bring him to my music because the Orisha is alive. The Orisha communicates all the time through messages, through events, and thus the Orisha is alive. Oh, wow. It's very clear that even though he's not, in his words, a practitioner of Candomblé, he's still very respectful of the religion. Yes, he's very clear that even though he's been through the practice of discovering who his personal Orisha is... We've mentioned this before, but just to clarify, everyone has an Orisha. So when Zé says, meu pai obaluaye, meaning my father obaluaye, he's referring to the fact that he's a child of obaluaye specifically, that obaluaye is his personal Orisha. Yes, but in spite of his dedication and proximity to obaluaye, he recognizes that he has not dedicated himself to the practice of this religion and doesn't want to claim any special knowledge. Got it. Well, since I talked about the lyrics a little bit, let's see what else is there. Did he say anything about the lyrics? Yeah, he told me the song initially arrived in a dream. It came up as a tribute to this Orisha that is the Orisha of diseases and cures. He's a mysterious Orisha, highly respected. I dreamed of this song, the refrain. 
A do pé, meu pai, ó baluaê. A do pé, meu pai, ó baluaê. A do pé, meu pai, ó baluaê. Eu sonhei com isso. I dreamed this. Eu não sei a quem And I don't know whom to credit. It's something enchanted, a song that I wrote in a dream. And I wrote the second part. Na minha dança, o que me causa dor vira poeira. A do pé, meu pai, é totô. That part is mine. Então, assim, é uma música... It's a song that already has a strong meaning for having arrived in this way, for being my Wow, that's so interesting. He describes it as a collaboration between him and... Well, he's careful not to attribute that first part to Obaluae. Right, he doesn't know whom to credit. Exactly. So, about the lyrics. Actually, he explained those a bit. I wrote the second part during the pandemic. So at the same time that it is a song that pays tribute to the Orisha, I'm also asking for protection against the pandemic. Because he's the Orisha that brings the disease and the cure, brings the transformation. Doença e cura, silêncio no caminhar. Meu velho orixá, tua luz e teu amor irão nos curar. A do pé, meu pai, a totô. And a do pé means thank you. A totô is the saudação. The saudação is very beautiful. It requests silence. Aha, I was hoping he would get into this. It's one of the reasons this song seems so relevant right now. Yes, we're recording this at the tail end of 2020. At this point, the COVID-19 pandemic has taken hundreds of thousands of lives in Brazil. So we thought it would be appropriate to highlight Obaluaê because of his significance in public health. Zé is pretty careful about how he addresses Obaluaê. He uses the saudação Atoto, which asks for silence. And the title lyric is literally, Thank you, Obaluaê. That almost seems strange, given that the Odisha is responsible not just for the cure, but the disease as well. He dreamed it, so it's probably not something to mind for intention. But it does speak to the idea that candomblé worship is about balance. Right. We talked about Oshossi and his positives and negatives. They may have seemed rather abstract, but this is an example of a much more tangible manifestation of these ideas. You know, we highlighted candomblé because it's so foundational to Brazilian musical practice. Actually, the track before Adopé, Obaloé, on Zé's record, deals with this. It's not exactly a song. Instead, Zé leaves space for the composer, saxophonist and band leader, Letieres Leite, to talk about how Brazilian music is all Afro-Brazilian. Yes, everyone should listen to that. Um, but I happen to know that Zé talked to you about this as well. Would you mind sharing what he said? Of course. All Brazilian popular music is Afro-Brazilian. And almost all of it comes from Candomblé. Maracatu comes from the Terreiros of Candomblé. Samba comes from the Terreiros of Candomblé. Candomblé teachers are guardians of the faith and also guardians of culture. A treasure chest of ancestral treasures of the culture of black people. Beautifully put. I say we take that as our cue to start investigating this musical offspring of Candomblé. Let's. Would you like to move next to Maracatu? Seems like a good idea since it came up so much in today's episode. Well, I think we know what our next episode is about. <laughs> right. Um, thank you, Skyler. Thanks, Juliana. I really enjoyed this episode. Esse foi massa.
Casa is written, produced, and edited by Juliana Cantarelli Vita and me, Skylar Weldon. Special thanks this week to Humenique Dantes, Baba Chacombiana, and Zé Manuel. For episode transcriptions and links, please visit our website, essefoimasa.com. That's E-S-S-E-F-O-I-M-A-S-S-A dot com. Our email is essefoimasa at gmail.com. Our intro music is by Sonda Massa, and our outro, which you're hearing right now, is by Sammy Bananas. Please join us in two weeks as we introduce the music of Maracatu. Until then, es fue masa. in there because we were interpreting Yemanja who is the Odisha of the sea and she's the water and then the waters yes yeah yes the waters of interpretation <laughs>